Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Nuggets Numbers, I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as I come to you on the regular scheduled day for Nuggets Numbers. It's been a really weird last well, 36 hours or so. Um, the NBA world was kind of put on pause. Lots of people grieving as we speak. Lots of people remembering the life and the journey that Kobe Bryant took as a member of the National Basketball Association fraternity. A beloved member of this community, a beloved member by players, fans, coaches, and anybody who really consumed the sport of basketball. Whether you enjoyed his game, whether you appreciated his greatness, it was always it was always without a doubt that Kobe was the greatest competitor on the floor. He always had that look in his eye, especially in the fourth quarter, especially when the going got tough and real champions had to step up. Kobe was that guy. Kobe was that guy for many, many years, uh, 20 seasons in the NBA, drafted out of high school, the prodigal son. So many people owe their careers to Kobe from his time playing to his time after, where he has been a massive ambassador for the game. Been really, really surprised honestly, with how much this impacted me. Uh, I didn't consider myself a Kobe fan before he passed away. He was always a Laker. He was always, especially for me, growing up a Nuggets fan, he was always the enemy. He was always the adversary, the guy who eliminated Denver from the playoffs. Denver never got past Kobe Bryant, no matter what they did, no matter what they tried. And he was a champion. He was the best at it. Five rings, two finals MVPs, countless other accolades, countless NBA players that he impacted. If you've been reading, if you've been reading, listening, watching anything ESPN, The Athletic, basically everybody writing their own Kobe story. I don't really have a Kobe story. But I do know that he impacted the game of basketball probably more than anybody else 
to have come before him. More than Michael Jordan. More than LeBron James. He didn't always do things in what was perceived to be the right way. His career was marred by a Colorado rape case that complicates the entire Kobe legacy. You can't talk about Kobe without talking about that when you look back on his career retrospective because it was a big deal and remains this day. Can't just brush that under the rug. But for his on-court work, for the person that he seemingly became after he made these mistakes, he grew from them. Uh, he learned. He understood that he could always get better. That was his mentality on the court. That was his mentality in everything. He won a freaking Oscar after he retired. Like The dude was incredible. Just the ultimate competitor, the ultimate guy that you wanted to embody when you were doing something well. When you tried to do something the best you could, he was the guy that you looked to. He was the guy who represented that, that represented greatness personified. So, I will miss Kobe Bryant for those reasons. Other people may have their own feelings about him, but I would say the, the vast majority of NBA Twitter, of the NBA culture, has just been massively impacted by the life and the exploits of Kobe Bryant. And so many people have so many thanks to give him for where they are today. So that's all I'll say about Kobe. Um, I know it's not the long message that I'm sure people were hoping for at this, but it's hard to talk about the dude. I know that there are many people that are better talking about him than I am. I could pull numbers from his, his games against Denver where he just dominated them. I could pull uh, his statistics in the finals and how many games he won based off of his play alone. But it doesn't really need to be said. The dude is a legend. He should go down as a legend. And you can respect him for that. There is just a lot, a lot to continue to discuss about him that probably shouldn't be discussed now, probably needs a little bit of time, so I'm going to take it to break. The rest of this podcast is going to be about the Nuggets and their future playoff exploits. I've pulled some numbers for my stat of the week that I am going to share tomorrow, or I'm recording this on Monday night, so be sharing it on Tuesday. But I've taken a lot of numbers for Denver and their playoff opponents. And I have a lot of things to say. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
Okay, we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Let's get past the, the Kobe stuff. I know that at some point the NBA world will need to move on. At some point, that's, that's what Kobe Bryant would have wanted, the ultimate competitor. He wouldn't let anything stop him from playing basketball. So, let's not stop now. Let's, let's continue to discuss where this Nuggets team is at right now. Because I think they're in a really interesting place. Um, this next segment is going to be discussing Denver's current situation in terms of the playoff picture. I think it's important to discuss this now, a few days before the trade deadline. We're, we're nine days away because I think this conversation is going to be a little bit uh, hard for Nuggets fans to hear because I don't think the Nuggets match up with a lot of teams really well in the playoffs, and I think it's very possible that they get upset in the first round as currently constructed, despite having a lot of talent. They could go either way. They could go all the way. Or they could get upset in the first round. Just kind of depends on the matchup and how certain guys play. So let's talk about it. If the playoffs were to end today, the Nuggets would be the third seed. The current playoff order is as follows. The Lakers are in first. Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, Mavs, Rockets in six. The Thunder. And then the Grizzlies are currently in the eighth seed. That could change. Any number of teams could replace them. But the first seven teams, I would say, are, are pretty well set in stone, barring any shenanigans at the deadline by the Oklahoma City Thunder. This would put Denver's first-round opponent as the Houston Rockets. If they were to win that series, their likely opponent in the next round would be the Clippers. And then in the conference finals, their likely opponent would be the Lakers. That is quite possibly the hardest path the the Nuggets could possibly get in terms of getting to the playoffs. I don't think Nikola Jokic is the best player in any of those series. Uh, you have Kawhi against the, with the Clippers. You have James Harden with the Rockets, and you have LeBron James and maybe even Anthony Davis, depending on how you feel about him, uh, on the Lakers. And so all of those guys have a massive claim to being the better player in that series, or at least the the more capable playoff player. So seeding matters. This is why seeding matters. This is why the rest of the regular season for Denver is so important, and they can't screw around. The Nuggets have the second toughest remaining strength of schedule in the NBA. Uh, the only team ahead of them, I think, is like the Memphis Grizzlies or something. It could be one of the worst teams in the Western Conference, depending on how things are going, but second toughest remaining strength of schedule it's pretty difficult. They still have a couple of matchups against Milwaukee. They still have all four of their matchups against Utah. They've got another couple against the Lakers. There are a lot of opportunities for Denver to drop games. Now, maybe this is a good thing for Denver because they have been playing well against the top teams. They they actually probably play better than them, better against them overall than they do against the bad teams. So stacking the schedule like that might actually be a decent thing for them. But that's kind of far-fetched. I would say you'd rather have an easier schedule going into the end of the season, I think. That's how the Utah Jazz continue to get their start, uh, to continue to get the, the seed that they get most of the time. So I think the best place to start for this discussion, how many teams 
that would face the Nuggets, would the Nuggets have two of the top three players in that playoff series? What I mean is this. If the Nuggets were to face the Portland Trailblazers again in the in a playoff series, would they have two of the top three players? I think the answer is no. I think with the way that CJ McCollum played in last year's playoffs, I think he's a, a better player than Jamal Murray right now, better player than Will Barton or Paul Millsap. And then Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic, depending on your preference. I know Nuggets fans would prefer Jokic in that case. Those guys are in the top two, but CJ McCollum was one of the deciding factors in that series when the Nuggets were able to kind of focus on uh, Damian Lillard and stopping him. They couldn't stop CJ McCollum in the game seven. That was tough. That was the reason they lost. So let's start with this. How many teams do the Nuggets have two of the top three players? And if, if they were to play one of these teams in a series, we'll go through the entire playoff picture as of now. The Grizzlies, yes, they would have two of the top three players for sure. Uh, Nikola Jokic is definitely better than John Morant or Jaron Jackson, and I believe Jamal Murray is too. That's That may be a hot take. I think Ja is definitely benefiting from uh, being on a bad team and having a large role, and he might be really good. He might be in a position, but I think that Denver could certainly neutralize him enough that it wouldn't really matter. Against the Thunder, yeah, I would argue that one of Murray, Barton, or Millsap is going to be better than either Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Danilo Gallinari. Uh, the best player on the Thunder is Chris Paul, and Nikola Jokic is better than Chris Paul, so I think Denver's comfortable in either of those two series. Against the Rockets, I think the answer is no. I think James Harden's probably the best player in that series. Nikola Jokic is the second best, and I would give Russell Westbrook the edge right now as the third best player. Now, Denver has shown the ability to be able to counter Russell Westbrook, but if they have to play Torrey Craig and Gary Harris and Will Barton, then where does Jamal Murray play? Where does Paul Millsap play or Jeremy Grant play in those situations? That's going to be a tough series for Denver to match up with if they can't stop Harden one-on-one, although that's what I would do. I would try that. More on that later. Dallas Mavericks, I think that's unclear. I think Murray versus Kristaps Porzingis is kind of a toss-up right now. I think if you're going from an all-encompassing perspective, I think Kristaps is probably better. But in a playoff series against the Dallas Mavericks, I think Murray has an advantage over whoever Dallas can throw at him. And Denver can throw Nikola Jokic at Kristaps Porzingis. And they can throw Torrey Craig or Will Barton or Gary Harris at Luka Doncic on a consistent basis. And I think that gives an advantage to Denver, personally. But that's unclear still, so we'll see. Against the Jazz, no, I do not think the Nuggets have two of the best three players. I think that Jokic is clearly, or not clearly, but the best guy. Gobert is a close second, and Mitchell, I think, is a reasonably third-place guy in that in that case. Murray is not having as good of a season as Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell will probably be voted into an All-Star game, into the All-Star game on Thursday. Uh, Murray most certainly will not be. Now, Murray has proven himself a bit better than Donovan Mitchell has in the playoffs over the last couple of years, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. That that's a That's a really tough playoff matchup. Against the Clippers, definitely not. Against the Lakers, definitely not. You've got Paul George and Kawhi in for the Clippers, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis for the Lakers. So this isn't the be-all, end-all, but 
from looking back at last year's playoffs, the team with two of the top three players generally wins the series. The major exception to that rule is if one team has a player that's much better than the opposing team's best players. For example, Denver last year, this this really proved true. San Antonio had DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, who I think were definitely the second and third best player in that series, but Jokic was so clearly one and couldn't really be stopped when the going got tough that the the Spurs just didn't really have an answer for him. They they couldn't match up with him. And Murray was good enough, and Paul Millsap was good enough, and Gary Harris was good enough in those in those situations that they were able to make it work. Against Portland, like I mentioned earlier, you had Lillard and McCollum, and while I think Jokic was the best player in that series, the margin was much smaller. The role players had to be a major difference maker in that situation, and they weren't, at least from the Nuggets side. Rodney Hood was the guy who decided that series. And because Denver couldn't match up with Rodney Hood, they kind of had to leave CJ McCollum on an island, and he scored 37 points in Game 7, and made the game-winning shot, basically. So that was a that was a really tough ask for Denver in that situation. I do think Denver can beat any of the teams competing for an 8 seed in the playoff series, even New Orleans and Zion. This last game that Denver played against the Pelicans gave me a lot more confidence than I had prior. Uh, Denver can beat OKC, but it'll be tough, and Denver may lose one of those two, but I think that they can definitely beat those guys. Uh, Obviously, they can beat Memphis. Beyond that, there are no opponents that Denver could face that I think would be favored, that Denver would be favored by a significant margin. If anything, I think Denver would be the underdogs in a lot of these cases. The Rockets are still a matchup nightmare for Denver right now. Denver's still trying to figure out how to solve the the James Harden, Clint Capella pick and roll. They have tried doubling James Harden a lot, and it worked in the first game when Russell Westbrook took 10 threes. Did not work in the second or third game when he took, I think, one three in those games, maybe zero. Uh, Denver has liked to double off of Russ, and I don't think that they should be doing that in a playoff series, or at least they should be mixing it up a little bit more. Denver should be forcing Harden to shoulder the load, I think. If you get into a second round and James Harden has had to put his team on his back in the first round to ensure that his team could advance, why wouldn't you make him continue to put his team on his back and tire out by Game 4, Game 5, Game 6 of a series. Maybe he starts shooting 1 of 15 from 3, or 2 of 12, and that's just the margin that you need in order to win. I think Denver would ultimately lose that series still, unless Jamal Murray and Gary Harris start hitting threes. Um, But uh, it was a 2-2 splits, and Denver did find a way to win. When James Harden was off the floor, they found a way to win when James Harden was on the floor. Um, But we'll just have to see how that goes. I'd like to see how these teams match up when they're both full strength again. Against the Mavericks, uh, and again, I'm I'm just going in depth on on the rest of these series, these rest of these playoff series. I think that they're really important to discuss. This is the Luka Doncic series. Nobody on the Mavs can defend Jokic. Putting Porzingis on Jokic doesn't really solve that, but... 
what I think will really solve this series and or decide it is how efficient Denver's defensive options on Luka can shoot. We've seen Torrey Craig do a good job against Luka Doncic. We've seen Jeremy Grant do a good job against Luka Doncic. Both of those guys can can be very good in those situations. Gary Harris did a good job in the first game, not as great in the second. Actually, did he play in the second game? I can't remember. I, I could be wrong there. Um, Will Barton has been fine, uh, but he's he's not a he's not a stopper by any means. If Denver's defensive options on Luka Doncic cannot shoot the ball, I don't think Denver's going to be able to score enough points to win it. If they can hit some shots, though, and we saw it last year from Torrey Craig, we saw it enough times from Gary Harris and uh, some of these other role players that come off the bench and really provide some some spark. If they can do that, Denver should win in like five or six games. I think Denver would probably win that in seven, either at home or on the road, because they are the more veteran team. They have been there before, and while that's crazy to say, the 24-year-old Jokic and 23-year-old Murray, they have that experience now. Um, That's important. That's important when being able to go on the road and understand how to win certain games. Denver proved they could do it last year, and I have confidence they could do it again this year. More detail on the Jazz. This was, I think, the traditional versus untraditional matchup. The Jazz are very traditional in the way that they have built their team. Donovan Mitchell reminds a lot of people of Dwayne Wade, a lot of people of a standard scoring guard who's very explosive, who can rack up points in bunches, isn't necessarily the most efficient guy, but takes shots all over the floor, will put up 30 shots if he needs to. Rudy Gobert is a traditional center. He's a traditional rim protector. He rolls hard to the rim, sets good screens, accumulates a lot of screen assists. <laughs> Can't even keep a straight face there. Um, he's good, though. There, There's no doubt in my mind that he could be the difference in that series, depending on how he defends Jokic. That would be the big battleground in this series. It's the, the best offensive center in the league versus the best defensive center underrated defense on Jokic's part versus underrated offense on Gobert's part. Jokic will have to hit shots in that series. He has to be willing to go at Rudy Gobert. He has to. If he doesn't, if he's neutralized and he only takes 10 shots in a game or or less, that could really hurt Denver because they don't have enough shot makers around him, I think, that could genuinely carry Denver in those situations. Maybe Murray goes off. Maybe Will Barton has a hot game. Maybe even Michael Porter Jr. gets into the fray. But I still think that Jokic has to be that guy. Regardless of whether he's hitting shots or not, he draws so much attention from the opposing team. And if he scores on Gobert, those are those points are found money. If he can stretch the floor, open up the paint, and draw Rudy Gobert out away from it, that's found money. That's how you beat the Jazz. There could be a lot of problems with this team, though. Denver may have problems with their size on the wing, because Joe Ingles is six foot seven, Boyan Bogdanovich is six foot eight. Both of those guys very good, very good scorers, space the floor really well. I don't know if Paul Millsap is a really good option in this series. I think he, I, I'm questioning whether he hurts or helps Denver more in the starting unit in that series. I think that might be a 
a series where Denver plays Jeremy Grant a ton so that he can guard Bogdanovich. Uh, he can keep up with him and keep up with the, the scheme defensively. The Jazz run this spread pick and roll over and over and over again, and the backline defenders have to be able to cover a lot of ground, and I just don't know if that's Paul Millsap's specialty anymore. Maybe he can do it, maybe he can't, but we're going to find out one way, one way or the other. Um, I reserve the right to judge this series until Thursday's game. Right now, if I had to pick, I would say the Jazz would win it. And that may throw people for a loop because I do think that Denver is a better team than the Jazz, if only by a little bit. But the matchup problems are pretty, pretty tough. Um, Jokic having to go up against the best defensive center in the NBA on a consistent basis, who he's had trouble with in the past, could be an issue. So we'll see how he does in this next um, in this next game because I'm really curious to see how it goes. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'll break down the Clippers and the Lakers series because I think there are. There's some interesting points there, even though I think both of the L.A. teams would win. Um, And then I'm going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. more in depth because everybody wants to talk about Michael Porter Jr. right now, and I think he could change a lot of these series for Denver. We'll be right back. Nuggets numbers, back with you, Ryan Blackburn here, going through some playoff matchups that Denver will have to consistently face. One way or the other, the Nuggets are going to face a really good team in these playoffs, and it could be the Mavericks, it could be the Rockets, it could be the Utah Jazz, but the creme de la creme, as I believe them to be, are the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers. They have four top 10 players on their roster, uh, depending on how you view Paul George. He might be just outside of it, but still. Let's start with the Clippers, actually. History says that the Clippers win this one with Kawhi and Paul George being matchup nightmares. The NBA so far has been dominated by wings. They've been dominated by especially those playmaking wings, the Kobe Bryants, if you will, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, the guys who are just matchup nightmares, too big for guards, too quick for bigs, and too skilled for the guys in their own uh, their own position. History says that the Clippers will win. Uh, this will be the matchup between the big wings and the dominant center. I'm not sure which one matters more. I would say that the big wings matter more. But I think this matchup will really come down to whether Nikola Jokic is a bigger mismatch or the Kawhi-PG combo are a bigger mismatch for Denver. Because right now, Jokic will be checked by a combination of Ivisa Zubac, Montrez Harrell, and, say, Jamichael Green and Patrick Patterson if they go small. That's not a really good center rotation at all, and the Clippers may change that at the deadline. They may choose to add somebody with a little bit more defensive chops. But while Avisa Zubac is important and 
is probably their best defensive mismatch against Jokic. We've seen in previous series against Denver that the San Antonio Spurs had Jakob Pertl, and he was their starter, and he was really, really good defensively against Jokic and actually gave Jokic the most problems in the playoffs that year, this past season. But he was still off the floor when it counted most because the Spurs needed more spacing. I think the same problem may occur with the Clippers. They may not be able to play Avisa Zubac for 30 minutes a night. They may have to go small. They may have to create a little bit more space for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to operate, for Lou Williams to to work with. And Montrez Harrell is their best pick-and-roll big, I would say. And he factors into that conversation because he only plays center. He doesn't play power forward for them. He's a center. So I'd be really interested to see how that goes and whether Denver can force the Clippers to go small because I think that actually helps Denver. One way or another, Jokic is going to be on the floor, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to attack him, and Jokic is going to have to figure that out. He has done a pretty good job in last year's playoffs. I think he did a good job against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and there were a lot of occasions where those guys had to kick it out, and those guys weren't able to deal with his size. Now, Kawhi Leonard is six foot eight and massive, and Paul George is six foot ten and massive, but if those guys are are dealing with Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig on a consistent basis, then that might change. That might that might be a difference maker, I would say. Um, Jeremy Grant's definitely going to be a busy man, and I don't know how much Paul Millsap's going to play in that series. He already had a really good game against Kawhi Leonard, and I'm looking forward to seeing whether he can replicate that. I don't know, and I don't know what happens when Paul George is on the floor at the same time. Is Will Barton guarding that guy? Are the Nuggets playing Craig and Grant at the same time? Does Michael Porter Jr. get an opportunity to guard Paul George? I don't know. I I think that that would be a, a really scary proposition for Denver, especially for Michael Malone. When you have to deal with Paul George off ball if you're Michael Porter Jr., that's a that's a tough cover. So even if he's like-sized, there's, there's nobody on the Nuggets roster that is closer in size to Paul George than Michael Porter Jr. is. So maybe he can play in that series, maybe not. But yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned in this series, but not as concerned as I am for the Lakers series. I think the Clippers would win this series in six or seven games, but Denver does have some steel potential. They could take that series kind of out of the blue. And it would not surprise me, even if it would surprise the national media, Nikola Jokic might have a bigger advantage over the Clippers center rotation than the Clippers wing rotation has over Denver's. Now they have two guys and Denver has one, so where does Jamal Murray fit into that conversation? He's probably being hounded by Patrick Beverly throughout the game. So if he can deal with that, if the Nuggets can figure that out, then we'll see. As for the Lakers, you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and that's pretty much it. That's all they that's all they really need. That's all they they may need against Denver. Those two guys specifically just give Denver so many issues. LeBron James at the three. When he's out there, the Nuggets are either going to have to let Will Barton or Gary Harris guard him, or they're gonna have to change their starting lineup. 
the Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic lineup may be really good against 25 of the teams in the NBA. But when you get to this level, when you get to this point deep in the playoffs, it doesn't really matter what the net rating is in the play- in the regular season. All that matters is the matchup. And I don't trust Will Barton to guard LeBron James. I don't really trust anybody on Denver's roster to guard LeBron. Um, Jeremy Grant probably has the best case. Um, maybe Paul Millsap if... If the Lakers go small, that's they're, they're probably the most like-sized, I would say. But that's not an easy call, because when the Lakers are playing James at the 3, Davis at the 4, and a center at the 5, Jokic is always going to guard the center, uh, whether it's JaVale McGee or uh, Dwight Howard or somebody else. Uh, Millsap would be guarding Anthony Davis in that situation, so who's guarding LeBron? Is it Torrey Craig coming off the bench? I would bet that Denver starts Murray, Barton, Craig, Millsap, and Jokic in that series and puts Harris on the bench. And that would be a real move. That would be really interesting for Denver going forward. Um, They may not start with that, but they'll definitely eventually get to that lineup. Um, They may even put Jeremy Grant in the starting lineup at the three. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And maybe they'll just say, hey, Murray, hey, Barton, you guys are running the two-man game with Jokic. And Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap, you guys are spotting up in the corner and getting offensive rebounds, and we'll see what happens. Jeremy Grant would guard LeBron in that situation, and Paul Millsap would guard Anthony Davis. Um, But is anybody really confident about that? I don't know. We haven't seen it yet. That might be a good option. It probably isn't. Denver can win the minutes when LeBron is on the bench, though. And I think that's unequivocally true whether they're playing Jokic against Davis, whether they're playing Millsap and Plumlee, whether they're playing Grant and Plumlee, and they're just running the opposing team, the Lakers are going to have to play uh, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma, and Anthony Davis, let's say. They'll probably play those five in a lineup with LeBron off the floor, And Denver has a lot of opportunities to be able to guard that group. Um, It puts a lot of pressure on Mason Plumlee, and maybe you put Paul Millsap out there instead. But I still like Denver in those situations because they can put Jamal Murray and Gary Harris out there. They can make it work. They can put Will Barton out there, and maybe even they put Michael Porter Jr. out there. But when LeBron and Davis go to the 4 and the 5 respectively and they take a center off the floor is where this game will probably be won or lost. Can Denver de- defend enough in those close games? Can they defeat the best player in the world? Do they have the capability to, if not neutralize that guy, but at least slow him down? When he wants to get where he wants to get, Can the Nuggets prevent him from scoring 50 points in an elimination game? I don't know. I don't know if they have the juice. And that's pretty scary. Also, can the Nuggets score enough in those situations? Can they outscore the Lakers if they can't defend them? I don't know. When you've got Avery Bradley and Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Danny Green and Alex Caruso, they can all take turns defending Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Will Barton. That's scary. That should be scary for Nuggets fans. Those guys don't match up very well 
because I don't know how great Murray and Barton are going to be against guys that can really defend them on ball well, that are really just hounding them consistently. So all in all, I think Denver would lose this in about six games. I think one of those they would earn in a close game, and one of them they would blow out uh, the Lakers when LeBron just takes a night off and realizes they don't have it. But in the rest of those games, I just don't think they would match up very well, and it would either kind of get out of hand or... Denver would just not have enough juice like right at the end of the game and the Lakers would win by three to five points. That's a tough swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow for sure. Let's move on to Michael Porter Jr. And this will be the last thing I talk about before heading out. This is the factor that nobody knows how to quantify. Michael Porter Jr. changes a playoff series for Denver, changes the playoff calculus. So let me try and quantify it a bit. During the month of January, Michael Porter Jr. has hit 55.6% of his catch-and-shoot threes. That is the second-best mark in the NBA behind Kevin Herter of the Hawks. When you have a guy who can shoot that well and shoots that well consistently, this dude is a rookie. There are very few players in the NBA that can say that, that they nearly led the NBA in this situation. Let's pull up the list. Let's make sure that all of these guys are, aren't just like rookies that are doing this out of nowhere because I am, I've just been astounded by what he's been able to do. Let's sort this by how many three-point attempts that Porter has taken so far. It's about 27 of the catch and shoot. Yeah, so you've got Kevin Herter, Michael Porter Jr., CJ McCollum, JJ Redick, Joe Ingles, Marcus Morris, Seth Curry, Troy Brown of the Wizards, Damian Lillard, Devontae Graham, Fred Van Vliet. That is a star-studded cast of spot-up shooters. There are very few guys in the NBA who can claim that fame that Michael Porter Jr. can. In this situation, he has been Denver's best shooter bar none. And when you're in the Jokic offense, and especially in the playoffs, Jokic has to have confidence in his spot-up shooters to be able to throw them the ball when they're open and have the confidence that they're going to hit those shots. I believe he can hit those shots. Another stat that's a little bit more depressing is that in Michael Porter Jr.'s 250 minutes or so, he has made more catch-and-shoot threes in January than Gary Harris and Torrey Craig combined. 15 threes for Michael Porter Jr., 11 for Gary Harris and Torrey Craig. Each of those guys have exceeded 230 minutes, so it's not like it's not like Porter's far outstripping them in terms of minutes. That is insane. That is Denver's problem when they get into the playoffs. When they are forced to play defense, when they are forced to put Torrey Craig on the opposing team's best player because Jamal Murray can't do it, because Will Barton can't do it, they have to reap the the consequences. And Gary Harris has shot four of 22 on catch and shoot threes in January. That's 18%. Torrey Craig, not much better. He's hit seven of 24. That's not great either. I have more confidence that MPJ can hit those shots than I do that Gary Harris and Torrey Craig can. Now those guys might have a hot month. They might be in a position where I look like a fool because Gary Harris has shot 45% from three in January or in February, and Torrey Craig has hit 47% of his threes in the playoffs like he did last year. 
it was around this time that Torrey Craig started to turn around his shooting and in the in the regular season last year. He hit around 40% of his threes in January onward, and then that continued into the playoffs. He was very hot. Started the season poorly, finished it really well. Could that happen again? Yes. Do teams care if Torrey Craig gets hot? They do not. Do they care if Michael Porter Jr. does? They absolutely do. Because Michael Porter Jr. has already showed the ability that when he gets hot, he can go flamethrower mode. He's hit 25 points on 11 of 12 shooting before. He's done that in several games. He's been able to rack up rebounds, get easy shots, get to the rim, hit step back threes over guys. His matchup is a nightmare for teams. The defense is going to be an issue. In a variety of matchups, though, Denver can do their best to hide Porter in certain situations. Maybe they're playing him next to Torrey Craig and Gary Harris in those situations. Let's say when the Lakers go small, I think Denver can rely on Porter to guard Kentavious Caldwell, Pope, or Avery Bradley. And if those guys beat Denver, then so be it. At least the ball wasn't in LeBron's or Anthony Davis's hands. If the Clippers deploy Maurice Harkless, they can put Michael Porter Jr. on him. Same thing with Jamichael Green or Patrick Patterson or any of the power forwards that they decide that they feel is a good matchup. Hell, maybe Michael Porter Jr. spends some time on Paul George. It would not surprise me at all. If the Jazz deploy Royce O'Neal, he's been starting for them pretty consistently and has played really well. Let MPJ guard Royce O'Neal and tell him to play off ball and force Royce O'Neal to beat the Nuggets. Because if Royce O'Neal is the guy who kills them, then it is what it is. At least it wasn't Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, or Joe Ingles. Royce O'Neal's going to play a lot. Michael Porter Jr. could play a lot for Denver in a certain situation. And I think he could be their Rodney Hood. That's a tough name to invoke because Denver Denver fans probably have really tough feelings about Rodney Hood. But when Portland needed a third scoring option, a third wing, or a second wing after CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard to take the pressure off of those guys... When Torrey Craig was guarding uh, Damian Lillard and Gary Harris was guarding CJ McCollum, it was Jamal Murray that was tasked with guarding Rodney Hood, and he couldn't do it. Nobody really could do it in, in that series. Even Torrey Craig, to be honest. So now imagine Rodney Hood, all six foot eight of him, and now increase his size and increase his shot making ability, and that's what Michael Porter Jr. has the potential to be. The more that he plays, the more Denver learns what exactly they have in this guy, that maybe he is that kind of difference maker, maybe he's not, but you're never going to know unless you try. You're never going to know unless you can figure it out in a live playoff situation. Porter, over the last month, has proven that he deserves to be in that group. He has carried Denver in a number of games, been their second best player in a number of them behind Nikola Jokic. That should not be taken lightly. Because if he could do that in a playoff series, he may win a playoff series for Denver. And Denver has to know if they can survive his minutes. If they can survive his minutes, the Nuggets may have a shot at a championship, not just in the future, now, this year, this May, and this June. He has that kind of talent. 
they have to find a way to put him on the floor. I didn't think I would be saying that six weeks ago, but I'm saying it now. Michael Porter Jr. needs to be out there for the Denver Nuggets. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in on this Tuesday. Really appreciate you guys sticking through if you already if you lasted all this way. Let me know down below if you have any disagreements on how I evaluated each of those playoff series. I think it's a really important conversation before this trade deadline, before the Nuggets may change their team. Talked about how some of their issues, both defending guys like LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and spacing the floor around Jokic in the process, that could come back to bite Denver. Can they find a guy that can help them out? Can they find players who can really impact the game? We're just going to have to see. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you guys next week. Thank <laughs> you.